Mini-episode 1409 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1409. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with my good friend, one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, specifically our FDH Hoops Analyst Ben Chu, here for a breakdown of the early 2021-2022 NBA season. And generally, we'll do a segment like this if we don't get a chance to do a preview and you know how it goes generally in September and October when there's a lot going on. The end of the MLB regular season, the beginning of NHL and NBA, you got football to talk about. Sometimes we haven't been able to get to a preseason segment, so we'll do this one here. This is, to my remembrance, the first time we've ever done both. We did a preview segment, but there is an unusual amount going on in the early part of the 75th anniversary season of the NBA all over the league here with uh, teams deemed to be good and bad coming into the season and really everything in between. So who better to talk about it with than our usual guy on this stuff, on this beat, my man, Ben Chu. Ben, good to have you back on, buddy. How you doing? I'm good, Rick. How about yourself? Hopefully the residual check will still come in the mail. <laughs> Go down to the FedEx uh, place and wait for it, pal. It's on its way. And, it's uh, not on Amazon Key, right? I wasn't sure if that was yes. going to be the way I get paid this time. Yes. By, by the way, and for anybody that never gets my references on this, Google Paul Heyman ECW FedEx checks from back in the day. That was what he always <laughs> used to tell the wrestlers back in the day was to go down to FedEx to pick up a check that was coming in. So this is always my Paul Heyman tribute on that. But uh, it is a, it is a great uh, time for uh, interesting basketball. If you like things interesting, uh, I believe it's, uh, wasn't it an old Chinese saying, fittingly, may you live in interesting times? And uh, I think in the early part of the 2021-2022 NBA season, Ben Shu, here we are, buddy. I know we're here already. And of course, it was an Asian saying of all things, Rick Morris. Yes, course. yes. All the best ones are from the fortune cookies on down. All the most quality ones yeah. come from one part of the earth. This one included, and uh, it's a thing where when you look at the standings, there are some teams that you would expect to be up there. Uh, you know, Utah has, the last couple of years, had really good regular seasons. You expected Brooklyn to be a powerhouse, even without Kyrie. A number of teams that you didn't necessarily expect as high up, but I guess let's start in the Atlantic Division and kind of work our way across the country here. Uh-huh. Speaking of Kyrie, two very, very prominent if you want to call them holdouts at this time, really of different natures. Uh, You've got Kyrie with the Nets, Ben Simmons with the 76ers. Simmons would like out because he doesn't, I guess you you would say, doesn't feel welcome anymore there in Philadelphia. And for Brooklyn, uh, I think Kyrie is just biding his time until he can get a better fake vaccine card than Antonio Brown had. But uh, until that time, he is uh, sitting out uh, in defiance of the NBA's vaccine mandate. Well, actually, no, not so much that, I should say. New York area. New York has uh, prohibited him from playing in the arena. 
and the team, I guess, has extended it league-wide. So it's not a vaccine mandate league-wide, but uh, regardless, uh, Kyrie's on the other side of that issue as far as the NBA and the vaccines. And 12-5, and five, nevertheless, Philadelphia 9-7, and seven, nevertheless, but it, it feels like something that's going to catch up to, more, to both teams probably more so than it has thus far. Right, and, and for now, Brooklyn, I still think, is probably the leading candidate to win the Eastern Conference. Obviously, James Harden has gone through his struggles very early. Durant's been dealing with some minor injuries himself. But overall, Brooklyn has looked good. There has been some times earlier in the season where they they kind of got off to a slow start. But they're starting to mesh a little bit. And I feel like just in the totality of how Brooklyn will play the rest of the season, as like they'll probably, even though the Eastern Conference where it will get to the rest of the teams very shortly, even though they're doing a lot even though teams are super competitive right now, I'm starting to see that Brooklyn is starting to pull this, beginning their little bit of a pull away at this moment. And they definitely still have the top heavy talent on the team to be able to do that. And uh, they, they've uh, really got uh, some interesting pieces around the top two in terms of Harden and Durant at this point. Uh, the rest of that division there, uh, you, you've got the Knicks, on kind of the periphery of playoff contention at this point. Uh, off to a pretty hot start, cooling a bit here uh, recently, but uh, hanging in there. Boston right about 8-8, eight and eight, which is uh, probably more or less where a lot of people thought they'd be. Toronto at 8-9. and nine. Uh, I gotta say, Scotty Barnes has really been making me eat my words. And uh, again, Toronto has been uh, playing at, at a really, really good pace, even without P- uh, Pascal Siakam. And, uh, again, it'll be an interesting fit when Siakam comes back, what they do with him and Barnes. But uh, they have a really, really, really good core to build around there with the likely Rookie of the Year runner-up, I would say, at this point. And just in general, the things that we've been mainly seeing with some of these other teams, Philly and Boston, both have had to deal with COVID issues with Mm -hmm. with, uh, Jalen Brown and Joel Embiid. So their records have been probably a little bit, worse than they probably should be at this time of the season, but they've been playing well. The Knicks have been weirdly brick, as we've discussed, but I mean it's the Knicks, so we shouldn't be too surprised. They've been up and down all year. And, you know, they got off to that hot, hot, hot start, and they had a very, you know, had, it looked like they were going to get easily up to the top three top four. It's, like you noted, they cool, but they're still going to be in it. It would not surprise me to try to make some deal at the trade deadline and try and get maybe some more offense to maybe shore up, you know, the sort of the, the I guess you would say the scoring triad right now of Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, and R.J. Barrett. And in the totality with the Raptors, they might be one of the most interesting teams in the league right now. I mean, Fred Van Vliet is clearly right now probably the heart of that team. And the, Nick Nurse, we've discussed this on their, on the, on uh, during the championship run with Kawhi. Putting together some interesting defenses, putting together some very good young players, and you, we've given them credit in the past too. Where the, the Raptors and their Raptors 905 have just been very good at churning out high prospect guys, guys like Siakam, guys like Boucher, guys like Van Vliet. So they're going to be a. They, last year was kind of an aberration for the Raptors, but at this point, I think they're eking right back in the playoff, especially right now, play in contention. I would agree with that. Uh, the thing with the Knicks also, too, I mean, those three guys that you're talking about there to augment Julius Randle, one of the things, and I think we probably talked about this uh, on, on either an off-season 
show, or, or certainly the preseason one with the Knicks, is I always look at whenever a team's making a bunch of uh, additions to their roster, you know, what does the scoring hierarchy look like? And that backcourt, again, is really crowded. you got four guys on any given night that can really put the ball in the net. You mentioned the two there with Walker and Fournier. Let's not forget Rose and Quigley. But it's a thing where you, you look at it, and how do you have any kind of consistent output? That's a lot of mouths to feed. That's, you know, it could look different every every night. So, you know, particularly in the backcourt, they, they have a wealth of riches as far as ability to score. Now, when you're talking about uh, augmenting scoring going forward, that would obviously mean maybe you flip some of that for some frontcourt help. And it would seem like they would be very well advised to do that, to even out that roster a tad. Right, and I think one of the things, too, is, and I think a lot of NBA fans know this, too, is that, when you do have a lot of scoring mouths to feed at the end of the day, that's not a good sign. That's, right. what, a lot of, that's what a lot of people would just assume just in general. So I think the Knicks, they're, they're still very talented. They're going to make the playoffs play in tournament scenario no matter what at this point, barring some absolute collapse. So I'm thinking that they might need to move a piece or two and just try and maybe, I'm not necessarily, maybe I was too broad in general generalizing the score and just overall playmaking and just trying to maybe stabilize the ship because when you do have a lot of that pure good scoring talent on the floor at the same time it can be problematic but sometimes just the fine roles is going to be one of the big things that Knicks are going to have to focus on moving forward under tips. I would agree with that. Uh, along with the Pacific Division I'd say the Central is the most interesting in basketball right now. You've got Detroit in last place Again, Cade Cunningham starting to come on now that he's uh, come back from his early season injury. Detroit's going to be right about where we figured they would be, probably, which is towards the very bottom of the league, but at least they have their guy to start building around maybe a few pieces. Indiana has really surprised me being in second last at this point. They're a team that I thought uh, had a very good chance to be in the top six this year and bypass the play-in, and they're looking like a team to be lucky to make the play-in at this point. Milwaukee, as we record this, at a very even 8-8 eight and eight at 500, the defending champions. Very, very surprising there. It only gets more surprising the further up you go. As of the time we record this, the 9-8 and eight Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, no, this isn't 2015 to 2018. This is the Cleveland Cavaliers of late 2021, albeit the injuries are catching up. Uh, the, the, the Cavs, I feel like, will kind of be a separate thing for us to talk about here in a second. But then the Bulls in first place. And this is a team that, again, you've believed in more than I have. And I may have to end up eating my words on this if this is a team that makes the second round of the playoffs or maybe even a little bit further. Uh, Because, again, I thought they were the quintessential uh, example of the team that won July but maybe didn't, you know, have anything to really kind of back it up in the regular season beyond a seventh seed. But the Bulls are looking like a legitimate contender in the East at this point. I can't even believe I said that out loud. So, Again, the, the central to me is fascinating top to bottom. And I completely agree with you. And the jury is still out on Kate Cunningham's just overall play, but he's been, at least from some of the games I've seen him play, doing what Kate Cunningham did very well at Oklahoma State. So I think they're on the right path. They have good young guys in Jeremy Grant, Killian Meese, and Sadiq Bay. So they're going to need to still you know, move a little bit ahead, but it's going to take them just a little bit of time to go he's in jail, and it's understandable to also kind of have missed a huge percentage at the beginning of the season due to that. I think it was either a knee or an ankle issue. Moving to the Pacers, I, 
I do agree with you, Eric. I thought they'd be much better, too, but they've also been dealing with injury issues, too. They're still trying to get Karis LeVert back to full strength. So if they get that sort of backcourt of Brogdon, LeVert, and a TJ Warren back on track, I think they'll have a good chance to at least get into the play-in tournament just in general. I, I'm Regarding the Cavaliers, I'm not truly surprised by this because the Cavs have had a glut of high-level talent for a while now. Yep. It just hasn't cohesed and mess, but Evan Mobley is probably going to be the rookie of the year, barring an, barring an extended injury stage due to his uh, due to his shoulder for about a was it roughly about it's about a month, correct? Right? Two to four weeks, they're saying. Two to it, four weeks, yeah, roughly. A month. Yeah, and it coincides with again. I'm heartbroken about Colin Sexton being out for the year with the uh, meniscus surgery, and uh, right now the team is just. I mean, they're down. So many players. Uh, Markinen is out, still on the COVID absence. Uh, Kevin Love just came back from his. Jared Allen has been out, banged up. Ricky Rubio is having the greatest year of his life. I mean, he is just really, really coming on strong here at this point. Darius Garland is proving that he can be the second star on this team going forward in the years to come with Mobley, and that that is, uh, dare we say it, potentially a championship contending one-two punch right there. So, there's a lot of great things that are going on. Chetty Osmond has come back strong. We've seen the best version of him this year, which is a jack-of-all-trades kind of a guy who can help in a bunch of ways and has been one of the best outside shooters. Dylan Windler has been a strong bench presence. Uh, again, there's a lot. And Isaac Okoro, who I've complained about before, is in his proper role coming off the bench, or at least has been until now. We'll see who fills the, the Colin Sexton hole, but... Props to J.B. Bickerstaff, who should be in early Coach of the Year consideration for the the Tri-Towers, Tower City, whatever you want to call it, lineup here with Mark and the three. I was clamoring for it in the offseason. You were talking about it as well. I didn't think we'd see it. I don't know if you thought we'd see it. Colby Altman, idiot that he is, admitted out loud that he acquired Mark and, and the thought never crossed his mind. Hey, maybe he won't be a bench player. When, when he uh, when he traded for him and gave him $17 million a year. But thank God Bickerstaff is a lot smarter than Altman. And, uh, again, when they get everybody back to full strength, minus Colin Sexton, of course, sadly, once again it's going to be really, really, really exciting to watch, Ben. I have been so excited watching a lot of these games this year. Right, and they've had some big statement wins so far this year against Boston, against Atlanta. Again, just in general. So they, they're an interesting team. To, for the Bucks, they are at 8-8, eight eight, but to be honest, that's more of an aberration more than anything else. Uh, Chris Middleton was out with COVID for almost six games. Yes. So it's understandable when you lose your second leading scorer. Totally agree. Uh, you're probably not winning many games, Rick, just in totality, even if you have an MVP guy like Giannis. One thing that has been very surprising early on this season is just the scoring and play of Pat Connaughton. Yeah. Former Blazer, uh, he was drafted here, I think a couple of uh, early 20. Eh, I forget about all the timelines these days, Rick, but the, the, their bench has been very, I would say right now, not improved. I wouldn't say, use the word impressive, but they've been very, they've been very bolstered by some of the offseason additions, including Grayson Allen's been having a couple of good starts. He had a couple of good games. Jordan Noir is a guy that he's been on. The sum, their, their summer league team for the last three or four years, and he basically not there for his last couple of seasons, and he's just, I think he's going to be one of those key piece guys at the end of the day. And to get to the to the Bulls finally, then I'm not 
like we discussed, I'm not shocked that this is happening, but they have put together some big statement wins early on in this season. And the thing that's impressed me more is pretty much been the play of DeMarco Rosen. He was a very solid piece in San Antonio, but this is kind of looking more, Rick, like the DeMarco Rosen that we saw in Toronto. It's not as high-flying, it's not as aggressive, but he is just a... Well, I like to use the uh, the the uh, acronym. Uh, what was it? Uh, P. Uh, it's it's going to be really funny, Rick. It's essentially PM. It's you know PMS. Okay. He's a professional mid-range scorer. Yes, that's true. So that's what he does very well. And they, I mean, you, you got to give Arturus Pasinas, who came over from Denver, a lot of credit. Lonzo Ball's been playing well with them. Uh, they they overpaid Alex Caruso. Let's not let's not get it twisted. But he's been a spark plug off the bench for them, and also Aya Desomo. Uh, is it Desomo? Desomo. Excuse me. Desomo. I thought. Yeah. Desomo. Yeah. He's been. Uh, he's had some big plays at the end of the season, and I, I, it's weird to say this, Rick. It's one of those timelines when all that money got spent, but it got spent on the right pieces to build out the rotation around Zach Levine. I mean, they did the best they could under the circumstances. This is never ideal yeah. when you have to fill out that much of your rotation with trades and free agency. But, I mean, I will concede that being in that unfavorable position, uh, they've done a pretty good job there. Part of it, I will say, uh, is because of wasting draft picks the last couple of years. Again, I've bemoaned this a long time, although my Cavs came in and were able to sweep up you know, Chicago's uh, mistakes there with, with marketing. Uh, you kept drafting power forwards there, Patrick Williams, uh, Wendell Carter, you kind of marginalizing the guy that you already had. So it's a thing where I think it's working out well with uh, with Markinen, with the Cavs. Uh, the Bulls have uh, you know managed to survive not having them there. The Southeast Correct. Division. And one, one yeah. more point, Rick. Not oh, yeah, yeah. I do make They're doing most of this without a healthy Patrick Williams. And also Lucevic has been on the COVID mend as well. So. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as what I... I, My thing is, overall, in the Eastern Conference, that sort of triad of players of Ball, DeMar DeRozan, and Vucevic, if he gets going, that I I don't think they can win the East, but it would not shock me one bit if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, as far as what they get from a healthy Patrick Williams, to me, that equals what you would get from Michael Jordan. Not the Michael Jordan of yesteryear, but the Michael Jordan of today. But, uh, you know, maybe Patrick Williams can prove me wrong on that. Uh, But uh, in the the Southeast Division, uh, no big surprise at the bottom there. Orlando, much like Detroit, taking the position that you knew they'd be in. Uh, Atlanta, a little bit of a tough start here, 7-9, and nine, a little bit of a Final Four hangover maybe. Uh, but from there, getting very interesting. Charlotte at 10-7 and seven behind a breakout season from Bridges. Washington 10-5. and five. I mean, they basically traded uh, Russell Westbrook for like a big committee here. And usually, you know, four quarters for a dollar never really works out. But they've got a deeper team certainly than they did uh, previously around uh, Bradley Beal. And then Miami in first place, 11-5, and five, quite frankly looking a lot like the bubble team uh, two years ago uh, where they went to the finals in Orlando. It uh, looks like they're kind of getting back to that level. Jimmy Butler looking the best that he has since uh, conferring with uh, Rachel Nichols in the bubble, allegedly. And, uh, you know, the Heat are uh, looking like a legitimate contender again in the Eastern Conference, which they really weren't for most of last year. Right, and just in general, too, Miami has just played exceptionally well. Jimmy Butler has 
had has definitely played a lot better this season than, than the tail end of last year. I mean, give them credit. Kyle Lowry has looked like everything that Kyle Lowry we expect to see of him. The bigger one, of the bigger stories that we didn't talk about was the Tyler Hero's sophomore slump last year, but he's been just shooting the lights out right now in yes. Miami, and they got a lot of really good pieces and a lot of guys who could make you know a big push near the end of the year. So this again is one of those teams that's. I, I don't fully buy them yet, Rick, but again, would not, very similar with Chicago, would not surprise me to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Moving down and then going up Orlando, they've, it's been a hodgepodge there for a while, Rick. Right. I, I just, I really cannot really explain what they're kind of doing. One person we do need to mention is Mo Bamba, who has had a relatively quiet, you know, quiet season because Orlando's just been so terrible that. It's, you know, it's expected, but there's still some good pieces there. Cole Anthony is definitely a quality NBA player moving forward. So they'll, they'll figure, I think they'll figure something out, right? They just need to find that sort of big piece in the next two or three drafts to try and figure out what, how they're going to play it in the generality. Just in general, this just this, this conference just been so interesting. Charlotte's been pretty much incredible. Bridges has played exceptionally well this year. And I mean, it's possible that he was stoked by a low ball four year, $60 million deal in the off season to get to the next level. But let's just be honest too, Rick. And we, we've said this, there's a lot of discussion a couple of years ago about who should have been, who is the overall number one player, not, of, not this year's draft, but last year's draft, but it's, it's, it clearly should have been LaMelo ball. He's been playing absolutely outstanding and, just sort of the way that James Borrego, their head coach, has them playing. It's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the old 90s Warriors teams, kind of like the run team Sierra. So uh-huh. I, I'm exceptionally intrigued to see how they're going to do moving forward. And the Wizards, I mean, you kind of saw this brewing. Tommy Shepard's been one of those guys who's been talked around NBA circles for a while, their current GM, who I think at this point, if they make the playoffs, probably should be executive of the year. Mm-hmm. And just Bradley Beal, I think, is finally coming to his own. And it, it doesn't hurt when you have really good, solid core guys around you, like Tavis Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell. And don't forget a lot of their guys who are already there, Davis Bertans, Louis Hashimura. I know they haven't seen much of Denny yet, but I still am fully not believing that he is not going to become a key rotation guy at this point. And it, it just seems like this the East... Initially going into this year, I think we thought it was going to be very top-heavy of like two or three really good teams, and we kind of knew what was going to happen. But at this point, I I don't really actually have an answer, Rick. I really don't know. Like, I would assume Brooklyn is still the best team, but it would not shock me any sort of mashup or, you know, cornucopia of different combinations could still occur at the end of for the Eastern Finals. I would agree with that. And here's the thing, too. Here's what I would say about Washington in terms of who they remind me of. Is I'm talking about a very, very rich man's version of, and had they stayed healthy last year, last year's Cavs. Because we talked about this a decent amount. The Cavs, through their rotation, you go all the way through that rotation, one healthy, really good depth, really good, a lot of stuff. They didn't have a lot of, of, of top-heavy uh, parts there. Now, the Wizards have Beal. That's much better than uh, either Sexton or Garland, whoever you would consider the Cavs' best player to have been last year. But 
you know, as far as what's around Beal, it reminds me a lot of the top-to-bottom rotation of the Cavs a year ago when healthy. It's a team that doesn't jump out at you as much on paper because few of those players, you know, are really top three guys that, that you know, on, on a winning team. But just what they have up and down through the rotation uh, is impressive, and it's really been helping Washington. Yeah, and one point, too, I will note, too, is that Scott Brooks was a fantastic bridge gap head coach for them. Mm-hmm. But we got to give credit where credit is due to Wes Unsell Jr., who came from the Mike Malone coaching staff in Denver. He's done a fantastic job to start this season. Yeah, I mean, the and the perfect match of, like you said, a guy coming from a great system like Denver. I mean, they are just an incubator for so much coaching and front office talent around the league. Uh, plus, let's face it, you know, a guy who is, is coming back to a home city here. Uh, Wes Unseld is a very cherished name in Washington, so just a very good fit all the way around for them there. In the Northwest Division, uh, this is one where, again, not quite a snoozer, but it's, it's one of the divisions that's much closer at this point than what I think we expected it to be. Oklahoma City probably playing a little bit above their heads. Minnesota, perhaps likewise, although Anthony Edwards is it's making it harder. Usually the, the Timberwolves uh, drastically underachieve and waste prime talent like Carl Anthony Towns, but uh, you put Anthony Edwards in there as well, and uh, there's only so much top talent you can have and continue to be bottom feeders, I guess they're proving. Uh, Portland right about 500, but they're, they're a team that in the end will, I'm sure, finish a little above 500. Uh, Denver down a little bit uh, here at this point. Uh, certainly uh, uh, some of the issues that have happened with Jokic have uh, hurt them thus far uh, this year in the aftermath of the whole situation with Miami, uh, that brawl they had there. And then uh, Utah in first place, as they often are in the regular season. So the Northwest, among all the divisions, I'd say marginally closer to what we'd consider normal at this point. Right, and, I, and this shouldn't really surprise anyone. All these teams at this point in the year, have kind of their same sort of, you know, we thought, we are, to quote Danny Green, we are who we thought they were, and that's pretty much it. Obviously, Denver has is still waiting to get their full cornucopia of guys back. Michael Porter Jr. has been on the mend. And, uh, I mean, Denver, again, it seems like the classic story, very similar to maybe Utah, except for the fact that Utah, I think, has a higher ceiling potential in the Western Conference that it's a really good team with a bunch of really good guys, but it's just not enough, in my opinion, at this point. If, if Jamal Murray comes back healthy, I think they're in force from the Western Conference for a while. But I just don't really see much. Utah, I like Utah. I've always thought Utah was a great team. Donovan Mitchell has been, again, had another good start to the season. And we'll, we'll start to see more towards, I think, for Utah, this is kind of like the year that the Bucks had last year. Like they had that one year where in the bubble where they were supposed to dominate and win, and they didn't. And then in this case, it feels sort of like Utah's year that they're going to take the foot off the gas in the regular season and just try and prepare for the playoffs. But if I'm just being honest, too, Rick Portland's been good, been up and down from time to time. So I know Damian Lillard really struggled to start the season, and he's had a couple of bounce back games, including one against Chicago on Wednesday night, but it's going to be interesting to see where they add up. But to be really honest, Rick, the Northwest division is just, I hate to say it's some, it, it has some good teams, but it might be the most boring division right now in the NBA. Yeah. It, it's sort of the gray oatmeal bowl of the NBA right now, because it's just, it's, I would, I would like to say like the, 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 like the frosted flakes of all things. Like it's okay. good, 
but you kind of already know what you're getting. Right. Uh, versus the uh, when you, when you talk about things being funky, I would say the Pacific Division is a buffalo and salsa milkshake at this point here, as far as all the uh, weird and wild things happening. Sacramento in last place, kind of figured that would be the case. Uh, but uh, yeah, from there, it really, really gets interesting. The Lakers, between different injury issues, uh, struggling to put all of the pieces here together after an offseason of great, great churn. Even even in the LeBron James Laker era, uh, for you know, because you're used to churn there, but a whole lot of churn in this past off season. So they're right about 500. The Clippers are as well. They feel like they're almost maybe overachieving a little bit, being at that point without Kawhi. But then from there, Phoenix. There were some questions about them real early on if they had a little bit of a hangover. But uh, 12 and three as we're recording this, and then Golden State 14 and two as we're recording this. Even without Clay Thompson being back yet, even without regular contributions uh, from star rookie Moses Moody, uh, Golden State uh, feels like they're right back where they were a couple of years ago, which, uh, again, I as a Cavs fan say with the utmost feeling of bile in my mouth, but uh, that's what it looks like uh, at the moment. So, uh, again, a Pacific Division uh, that is just very, very, very unforgiving at the top of it here. There is no margin for error and uh, really, if the uh, if the Lakers don't get their act in gear, uh, they may be in the play-in for a second straight year. And uh, we saw what that got them last year. I mean, they got out of the play-in, but no further. I mean, just in general, Sacramento is... Uh, I, this is one of those times where I just feel horrible for Sacramento because this is one of those timelines if you look division by division. Yeah. That just, like, this is actually a good Sacramento team. And if you just look at this division, be like, oh, Sacramento's terrible. <laughs> look, dude, look, they'd be contending in the Southwest. Make no question. Yeah, no, they'd no, be contending. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And I find that absolutely interesting. And we'll see. We'll see. They got some good pieces where Sean Holmes has played well. We all know about De'Aaron Fox for Morris. We all know about him. So they're going to be an interesting team for the play-in scenario. Right. Just moving forward. With both LA teams, I think to to – Whole a very what's the word I like to say? Uh, ben narrative, Rick, is that it's two different sides of the same coin. Okay, that's what it is. That's why it kind of feels like is the Clippers don't have Kawhi and they've been overachieving with Paul George, who's had a fantastic season and pretty much looks like the PG of the Indiana timeline, right? And the Lakers have uh, dealt with LeBron injuries. And been just trying to struggle to mesh. Carmelo Anthony has been playing well for them, too. So the Lakers and the Clippers are kind of... I'm not surprised where they are, if I'm being 100% honest with you. But I'm also kind of expecting them to make a bigger push later on. Moving up the division, I mean, we really, if I'm going to be honest, shouldn't be surprised that Phoenix is near the top. I know they struggled horribly to start the season. They went 1-4 and then... Outside of a wake-up game against Cleveland at home, they, they've been on fire. So, again, I'm not super surprised by Phoenix. I'm more going to be intrigued about what they do in the playoffs. But we, I've said this to you, Rick, and I hated to say this because we've discussed this. We do like, you know, we. I'm not sure on your level about how big of a Warriors fan you are. It's probably like <laughs> maybe a tenth of a percent, maybe. <laughs> But well, at the end of the day, what I would say is that the, the Golden State's back. I hate to say it, Rick, but they back. They are. I've seen some of these games that they that has been televised. 
Curry's been playing well. The all their offseason acquisition from Otto Porter Jr. to Neymar Bielitsa. Obviously, as we know, I'm a Sonics fan, so it's nice to see Gary Payne too doing some work for them. But they've just been fantastic. They've been, I think, rolling along right now. And the thing that even makes it even more stupendous for them is, is that right now they've only lost two games at this point in the season. And they still haven't got Clay Thompson back, still haven't got James Weissman back, and haven't even fully realized the potential of Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Right. That's true. And that's, and that's just, it's it's amazing. And again, it, it's one of the analogies I made of a friend of mine made to me too. It's about, what it's like, it's similar to like dating a girl who doesn't, you know, it's, it's dating, it's, it's almost like dating a girl who is like discounted by other people. Yeah. And then you, then uh, while you're dating her, she realizes her fullest potential at the end of the day. And it kind of felt like with the Warriors, they had two years of just bland basketball. But all these pieces, guys like Juan Toscano, Anderson, Damian, Lee, have, are starting to come into their own, too. And Jordan Poole, who has been absolutely fantastic for them, too. So it's an embarrassment of riches, Rick, Rick and it's finally coming to pass. So you're comparing the Warriors to the girl who uh, got contact lenses, I'm, dyed her can, hair can blonde, and got a push-up rocks. Am I allowed to? Go ahead. She's all that reference on a podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I feel. We're calling. I'm going to call it. We'll call, we're calling the Warriors Linky Box now. That's what we're going to do now. All I right. Made that reference. And I'm going to stick to it. Well, there you go. And as as far as again your comment about my feelings on the Warriors, at the risk of sounding a little bit biased here, perhaps maybe just a little bit. I hate them with the fire of a thousand suns. Uh, and I won't pass up the opportunity to say don't let the Warriors' hot start to this season distract you from the fact that the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. So with that out of the way, on to the Southwest Division, the aforementioned horrible, horrible Southwest. The Rockets are who we thought they were, which is potentially a historically bad team that right about now, I'm sure, is wishing that they had taken Evan Mobley, but that's what you get for fleecing the Cavs out of KPJ a year ago. Uh, New Orleans, uh, again, it's the whole thing is just uh, imploding down there. I, I expected so much more from a David Griffin-led operation building around Zion, but there are questions about how Zion is even going to hold up physically at this point. So uh, New Orleans is just uh, a giant bag of crap right now that's uh, pretty much on fire. Uh, San Antonio, again, just it, it, it's a, it's. Not a great record, but not great talent on the roster. The thing is that they're just usually able to surmount that a little bit better than they are this year. Uh, Memphis getting it going here pretty much uh, a little bit above 500 at this point. Uh, Dallas, who has looked abysmal relative to the expectations for them this year, is still in first place by default because they're in basketball's worst division. And Dallas is going to have all the time in the world to figure it out with either Porzingis or somebody else. The dealing Porzingis may not be easy, but you got to think that they're probably looking at it at this point. So, I mean, Dallas might be trying to figure it out all the way up to game 82, Ben, but they're still going to be the winner of this division by default and probably by a comfortable margin. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to save us all some time, Rick, mm -hmm. with, with this sort of preview narrative. And I'll, I'll just use, I'm going to go with 15 words. Is that okay? Go ahead. Luca, mm -hmm. Ja. Zion plus twelve words. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's this division. That's all you need to know about that division. I mean, I, again, I, I kid in jest. 
but that's what it is, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, uh, yeah. That, that is what it is. I mean, the Mavericks have, have are a very good team, but they're still, they're still, I think, a one piece away, Rick. And we've discussed this. They're Literally. a piece away. We don't know where the piece is, but that piece is coming soon. Well, it might and be again, you true. Know, the like, we, we assume the Rockets were going to struggle. They still have some very good young talent, though. I mean, Jalen Green is going to be a very good young player. Christian Wood's been playing well. Memphis had a very hot start to the season, but they've been struggling too as of late. But except for, I, well, let's just be honest, Jaw's going to be Jaw. He's a fantastic player, but we'll see if Taylor Jenkins can pull the right strings. Jer- uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been sort of up and down all year too, so hopefully he can stabilize and the back end of that rotation can stabilize at some point too. Yeah, and uh, again, not much in the way of surprises in this uh, division, except for, again, perhaps how bad it is. I mean, San Antonio and New Orleans are playing worse than expectations, arguably even Houston. When you look at one win out of their first 15 games, uh, we knew they were going to be bad, but that still feels like uh, sliding well under a low bar. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Dallas, again, they're going to have all the time in the world to figure it out, but uh, you you can't like their odds heading into the playoffs here because, you say a piece away, I say arguably two, because if Porzingis uh, isn't one of the pieces, then uh, you have to hope that you can flip him for a piece that is. But, uh, I mean, if Porzingis can't make it work in Dallas with Doncic right there, you know, you, you, you have to just come to the conclusion that maybe we've already seen the best days from this guy, even at his young age already. If he can't make it work there, it would seem like a real acid test on his career at this point. Sure. And just in general, too, like I just uh, the Western Conference weirdly feels like what I thought the Eastern Conference was going to be, right, Rick? Right. It it, the two best teams are Golden State and Phoenix, and I, you know, again, it's still a long season to go. Injuries can still occur. You know, kerfuffles could still happen between teams, but I would feel pretty good right now betting on Golden State Phoenix as the Western Conference Finals, and I will say. That's going to be an amazing Western Conference Finals if that is the pairing. Yeah, and uh, it, it's going to be uh, probably uh, you know even more exciting than the seven-game uh, finale back in uh, what was it '76, I think, where what was it Game Seven when uh, Rick Barry got in a fight with one of the guys from the uh, Warriors and nobody came to back him up and he basically tanked the rest of he, you know he got an, I'm sorry with somebody from the Suns he was on the Warriors he got in a fight with somebody. And uh, nobody backed him up, and he kind of tanked the rest of the game. So we'll, we'll see if uh, Rick Barry uh, makes an appearance during the Western Conference Finals if they uh, end up meeting up again. But, uh, yeah, all across the league, very, very interesting times in this 75th season. And uh, as, as we continue to build towards uh, what will be a very interesting uh, lead-up. Uh, really, I mean, we're, we're a month outside of uh, Christmas at this point, a month plus, which is considered to be the traditional real starting point of the season. But again, the whole theme of doing this segment here is that there's been so much more interesting around the league that's already happened at this point. It's not like, oh, wake me up once we get to Christmas. You have these ongoing player holdouts, of, of and not necessarily holdouts in the, you know, typical term, but you know what I mean. As long as guys are sitting at home and they're healthy, you know, that's a holdout of some sort, regardless of what's causing it. So between that and, and some of the ups and downs of these teams, like you said, the the COVID issues that have continued to hit these teams, 
it's been a way weirder start to the season than usual, and we'll have to see if some of these hot starts and these cold starts end up evening out over a period of time. Whether the vaunted law of averages kicks in, Ben Chu. Right. The good old-fashioned law of averages. That's so. right. Regression the to the mean. The good old-fashioned law of averages. Progression to the And again, we'll see what ends up happening. I think this NBA season has a lot more intrigue to it than I thought. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, like I said, that's the entire idea of doing this extra segment here today is that uh, we try to uh, respond to facts on the ground and the facts on the ground are this NBA early season has been way more interesting than we ever would have expected and uh, again my Cleveland Cavaliers sort of a microcosm of that a big surprise in the early going here at least until the injuries started kind of crashing the team back to earth but uh, the enthusiasm that I have uh, had for for watching this team here this year is is my enthusiasm. It's the same level as uh, for talking about uh, the league as I did with you here today because there's a whole lot going on and there's never anybody break, to better to uh, break it down with than you, Ben Chu. Well, I appreciate it, Rick, and I ho- I hope we figure out some sort of insanity to how the finals are going to look this season. Yeah, we'll see. It is going to be crazy, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about it more. As this all goes along, thank you very much, FDH NBA analyst Ben Chu, my good friend, and thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1409.